Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Wow, the power that was on that song when we were shouting Jesus. Did you feel it? Shouting Jesus. You know, and I, I just, listen, we, we need to do one, one more thing with that, if that's okay. Would you grab the hand of the person next to you? And uh, I, wanna, I wanna pray for all the prodigal children. I wanna pray for the children uh, in, in our lives that we know. And it may not be our own children, but maybe someone else's children even. And the children in the city who have uh, deconstructed. Do you know what that is? You know, it's a big thing right now and a lot of the, uh, our college age young adult children uh, are look, look, have looked at the church and become disappointed. They've had questions about uh, this, the justice of Jesus and uh, they've been through, they've seen some hard things and they have decided that maybe God isn't really real and so they deconstructed de- constructed their faith all the way to uh, apostasy, which means they walked away. And uh, so I just feel like there's a grace right now to, uh, to pray into that and bring a breakthrough. What do you think? Yeah, you agree? All right, so would you, if you, listen, I, I know we don't normally do this, but if you have a prayer language, means like you speak in tongues, would you just uh, go ahead and do that? We're gonna ask Holy Spirit that you would pray through us. You say that you say in scripture that you help us when we don't know what to pray anymore. And some of us, Lord God, have prayed so many prayers for our prodigal children, Lord, that we don't even know what to pray anymore. So we ask Holy Spirit that you would begin to pray through us. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, while we are all in agreement, Lord God, we We ask for a breakthrough in the lives of these prodigals in Jesus' name, that you would send out your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and arrange for them an encounter, Lord God, that they cannot mistake for something else, Lord God, but they know that it's you and that they're being called home. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would break their hearts for the things that break your heart, Lord God, that they would begin to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We ask, Lord Jesus, that there would be a breakthrough in the family unit, Lord Jesus, so that they would come home, be reconciled, Lord God, to parents and siblings and aunts and uncles, grandparents, Lord God, in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord God, that for all of those children, Lord God, who have deconstructed because they've been disappointed and they're disillusioned and they're taken, Lord God, with the corruption that is in our culture right now, in Jesus' name, that they would now come to their right minds. God, we take authority over that spirit of the age in Jesus' name that has come upon them. We break its power, Lord God. We take authority. We say it must go now in Jesus' name. And we ask, Lord God, that they would be remembered to the body of Christ, that they would be remembered to their family, Lord God, and they would be reconstructed, Lord God, in the faith, in the name of Jesus, so they can walk in the fullness of their call, Lord God, and live in a manner worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you're gonna do, God. We thank you for what you're gonna do, God. And we know that you can do it. And we say it in the name and in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And all the church said... Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) And listen, if you get a testimony and something happens in your family, and I'm expecting that it will, I want you to bring the testimony to the church. I want you to tell us, do you know why? It's because that gives glory to God. You know, we don't give a testimony just so that we can say, oh yeah, we're so wonderful, we did something great. No, we give a testimony because we are testifying to the power and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And we ought to give him glory when he does something so great. Amen? Amen. 
So I was just came back from a, from a prophetic conference and all the prophets who were there started saying that we are no longer praying in a revival. We have already stepped into revival. And as I've been traveling the world, I have seen something very interesting. For about four years, I have been prophesying that there would be a move within the move of God and it would be a move among the people group called female. But as I have been traveling the world now, I am seeing it happen. God is raising up women in unprecedented numbers right now. Do you know that on the forefront of every revival, there has been a women's movement? And listen, God is raising up women under this thing that we're seeing, like we call it a mother's anointing. And that's just a phrase when you, when you say prophetic things, some people think like, what are, what are you talking about? Well, it's that we, we, are, we are seeing something that is sort of unusual. And when we say a mother's anointing, you know there's many mothers in the Bible that walked under a mother's anointing. I will tell you more about that. But God is about to restore something lost in our culture because we're in a war today. We're in a war today over our families. And God desires all of us that we would have marriage that would last and that would become beacons of hope and faith for our children and for all that are going to read the letters of our lives. You know, Paul said that I'm a letter written. So as I live my life, I'm a, I am a letter to be read by all of you. And you know what? That, do you know the loudest sermon you will ever preach is the way you live your life in front of others? We must strengthen and fortify our children with a legacy that is rich in faith and hope and love in Christ, accompanied by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know Acts 2.38? It says, and this promise is for you and your children and your children's children. That means that our children are also to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, clothed with power. And they're going to need that to stand in the culture today. They need to be able to resist the corruption and the evil and stand for all that is good, all that is God. Because we're in a war and we want to leave a strong, faith-filled, faithful, powerful, supernatural legacy to our children and to our children's children. And to do this, the family of God needs strong and powerful women. Listen, men, I want you to know today that this message is also for you, but I'm going to be addressing the women in the room because it's Mother's Day. And because God is doing something among women right now. And God is calling women out like he never has before. So I want you all to listen up, but especially you women, this is for you. Listen, did you know that Mother's Day originally, it wasn't, you know, about cards and Hallmark and and flowers and all of that. It's wonderful and we ought to honor mothers. I love that we do. I love when my children send me a present and tell me, mom, I love you so much and thank you and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) But originally Mother's Day was a call for women to organize because they were seen as formidable warriors. They were seen as strong, powerful social entrepreneurs that changed society. They were catalysts for change in the culture. And this is what Mother's Day originally was. You know, um, I love the story of Alice in Wonderland. Do you, know, do you know that story? In 2010, there was a new movie that came out about Alice in Wonderland. She'd grown up. And everything in her life has changed. And there were three main women characters in that story. There was the Red Queen who was ridiculed all her life because she had a big head. 
Well, she couldn't get over all the things she felt were personal injustices of her life. She couldn't accept herself for who she really was. So she grabs her power and and control and she destroys all hope of ever gaining what she really wanted. Do you know what she really wanted? She just wanted to be loved. And then there was the white queen. Oh, she has beauty and talent, everything that the red queen would have liked in her life. And so because of the bitter envy and jealousy and insecurity of the red queen, the white queen is falsely accused and then imprisoned. The thing is this, that the red queen was her very own sister. Alice has forgotten who she is. And her father's death has left her vulnerable to the cultural dictates of her time. She's forced to marry so she won't be a burden to her family. But when her father died, all the dreams, all the things that they, that they shared, all the visions died with him. It was said that they used to believe as many as six impossible things even before breakfast. And when she's introduced to her future husband, she shares a vision. And you know what his response is? You should keep your visions to yourself. And when in doubt, remain silent. And there is an enemy that still says that to women today. But the kingdom was under siege from the wicked red queen and her dragon. And the people are in need of a champion. And the prophetic scroll said that Alice was to be the champion. She would slay the dragon. But she doesn't even know who she is. So she cries out, I'm not that Alice. I'm not slaying anything. And the Mad Hatter stands up and says, you know what? You're not the same as you were before. You were much more muchier. You've lost your muchness. There's something missing right in there. And you know, in Deuteronomy 6, it's called the Shema. It's that famous scripture that says, the Lord your God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your heart and all your strength. And that word is me'od. And that word me'od actually means muchness in the Hebrew. It means all your inner fortitude, all that inner strength, all that full capacity that he has already put in you. Love the Lord your God with all your muchness. And I'm telling you right now, you're going to need your muchness in our day. You're going to need all your fortitude, all your tenacity, all your inner strength, especially if you're going to follow Jesus in our day. If you're going to enter into the true calling on your life, if you're going to live powerfully, if you're going to live humbly, if you're going to raise a family, if you're going to love a husband, if you're going to love children, if you're going to build a business, if you're going to get an education, if you're going to thrive in the midst of trouble, handle pain, handle suffering, handle grief without dying a premature death, which means you're settling for less than what God has for you and the life of abundance, joy and peace and love that he has provided for you. It's going to require all your muchness. You know why? Because you're going to have to be willing to take a risk. Let's be honest. Taking a risk has an element of danger to it. Something might go wrong. Something might get lost. Somebody might get hurt. We don't always know what the cost is going to be up front, but that's what makes it risky business to follow Jesus. Almost 30 years ago, I took a risk, changed my entire life. 
30 years ago, I was raising three middle, middle school children. I think they were like 10, 12, and 14. I was in my mid-30s, and I went to a conference, and the Lord, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and he said, Kimmy, I want to take you around the world to preach and teach and prophesy. I'm like, what? I'm just a mom from Moorpark. I already had a career. I thought it was my calling. I was an RN. I was a labor and delivery nurse. My husband was a fireman. He just retired from that about seven years ago. And, and I'm, I'm being interrupted in my life. I had to take risk and trust him to say yes. And it changed my entire life. I had to change my vocation midlife. I had to leave the life I had known, and I was very good at it. I had to go back to school. I had to learn a new language. I had to stand in a leadership position that my family would not only may not understand, but probably oppose because of our traditional religious background. I had to trust that my children, my marriage, my heart, my whole life could really be entrusted to Jesus. It's risky business to follow, to follow Jesus. But mark my words, he is calling you out today. Because, listen, we can't any longer stand one foot in the world and one foot in the faith. What is that song we just sang? Lead on, and if you're leading, I give it all up and I, I'm all in. We have to be all in in this time because the world needs its champions I'm not talking about foolish writs. Listen, lots of people do that. We all know them. You don't have to have any wisdom to take a foolish risk. I'm talking about strategic, informed by the word of God and the revelation of the Holy Spirit kind of risks. Listen, the most powerful women I know in the world are women who take risks. Heart of the city women, I'm telling you, I have never been to a church, and I've been to several of them, and I go all around the world, but I have never been to a church where I have seen so many women leaders gathered in one place. I am telling you, we could take over the world, just this one church. And I don't know about you, but I want to do just that. Listen, Coeur d'Alene is waiting for you. Athol is waiting for you. Rathdrum is waiting for you. Post Falls is waiting for you. Moscow is waiting for you. All of Idaho is waiting for you. The whole nation is waiting for you to rise up. And for some of you, it's even into the nations. But you're going to have to be willing to take a risk. We're being positioned for influence in this time. So there are five particular risks I want to talk to you about today. The first one is found in Ruth chapter one. I don't have time to read you all the scriptures that I'm gonna go over, so I'm, gonna, I'm going to just summarize them for you because they're long stories. The first risk you're gonna have to take is you're gonna have to risk starting over. There's the story of three women. They've lost everything, all their dreams, their partnerships, the legacy they were building. All came to a crashing end when their husbands died, leaving them childless. And listen, in a patriarchal world where having husband and children meant you had status and that you had worth, their fate seemed sealed. And Orpah, she turns back. Naomi, she gets bitter. But risk, Ruth risks starting over. When all seems finished over and dead, you're going to have to risk starting over. Four decisions will help you start decide. Four decisions will help you. First, you're going to have to decide who's going to drive. Listen, feelings don't get to drive your bus, women of God. They don't get to, they don't get to lead you. They don't, have to, they don't get to dictate your decisions. They don't get to cause knee-jerk reactions. They don't lead you. And they don't get to become your identity either. Our identity must remain in Christ Jesus, informed, formed, and transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit, not our feelings. Yeah, 
In my years as a pastor, I had spent many hours counseling people. I often encountered women who, had, who couldn't even receive the smallest of compliments. If you tried to, they would deflect it with some excuse. Most of them had experienced being criticized, being humiliated at one time. Many of them had experiences of being not valued and not honored, and that's real, and it's painful, and it does cause wounds. But somewhere along the way, that pattern of experience became ingrained in their life. It was taken into their heart and it became the core of their identity. They believed they were worthless or at least worthless. To receive a compliment, you see, to take the truth of what other people see in you and then they praise you for it, you have to know that you are worth receiving praise. These women, because of what they had suffered, believed a lie formed out of their experiences. And now worthlessness, that was once just a series of experiences, it now had become their identity so that every situation, every conversation, and every relationship was redefined by it. There was no gift, there was no compliment, there was no love, there was no friendship that could be received until until their identity was restored. The second thing, you're going to have to decide to stay emotionally present, holding on to hope. Hebrews 6.18 says it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, those, we, those of us who have fled for refuge have strong encouragement to hold on to the hope set before us. Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the assurance of what we hope for, the evidence of things not yet seen. But Proverbs 13.12 says hope deferred makes the heart sick. You see, sometimes when we become heart sick, we stop holding on to hope and we check out emotionally. A young woman once asked me to write her a letter that explained how I saw hope and joy in my own life played out. And so this is what I wrote her. As a young woman, there came a time when the pain of past abuse I had suffered, some disappointments and personal failures in my life seemed so big, I couldn't face it. I couldn't meet it head on and overcome. I didn't know that I could. I didn't know I had it in me. I didn't know that the tools for change were right within my reach. I was tired. I was young. I was inexperienced and I was afraid. And so I made a decision. I would not feel it. And however conscious or subconscious this was, I can't really say only that it worked for a very long time. I got married, I had children, I went to church. It seemed to be working for me, but after a while there were signs that began to shout at me and I knew I would not be able to contain, continue to remain numb or neutral over the issues of my life anymore. Though I didn't, though I began taking more drastic measures, you know, to hide it. Though I didn't want others to know, the person I was really hiding it from was me. I'd have moments when anger would spill out onto my children for simple mishaps. I would fall into weeping uncontrollably. I did know God. I did pray, but I was mad. Why didn't he do something? Why didn't he come and rescue me? Didn't he love me? No lightning bolt came from heaven, no booming voice out of the clouds, just this little stirring in my heart that was almost barely discernible, a growing hunger for something different. You know, someone once said, until the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, people don't change. Have you ever noticed that the greatest changes come from the smallest decisions? When I decided not to feel the pain, not to speak about what hurt, what disappointed me, what frightened me, I just became numb. I didn't feel it all. 
But as I chose to open my heart to tell its story, suddenly the days, they were no longer gray and numb. They became dark and stormy. And I experienced grief and sorrow for a season. But the man acquainted with sorrow and suffering stood with me to help me bear my grief and carry that sorrow in ways that I had not understood that he would. And he gave me the strength to stand and face all that threatened my heart with failure. And one day, the dark season, it came to an end and the darkness lifted light, suffused my soul. I felt a fragile confidence and a tentative happiness. The point is this. I hadn't known that to choose not to feel pain would mean I chose not to feel joy. I hadn't known that refusing grief and anger and sorrow did not bring peace. It just disconnected me from all emotion and all kinds of things like mirth and happiness and passion. I learned that if I wanted to have joy in my life, I had to be willing to experience pain. Listen, emotion does not rule my life. It's not the driver of my bus, but it does give rich texture and color to my life. And now I can enter into joyful and painful experiences with other people because I've learned how to stay present and remain hopeful in all of my experiences. Ruth also remained hopeful that there was life ahead and she moved forward. You're gonna have to decide to cut your losses and divide your loyalties. Listen, Ruth didn't stay where everything had died. Her husband started this project, but now it was time to move on and start fresh. Orpah went back to what was familiar. You see, what she did was she, ex she exchanged all the prophetic promises, all the promises of God for things that were familiar to her. But Ruth chose Naomi and Naomi's God. She left everything, family, country, her old gods for a brand new future. She cut her losses and divided her loyalties. Listen, women of God, there are times in our lives we're gonna have to allow for a new vision. We may have to stop investing time or money in something that has stopped producing fruit, no longer viable. We may have to step away from an unhealthy, abusive relationship. We will have to resist temptation to stay simply because it's familiar. You're also gonna have to decide where to go where there's bread. Ruth 1.6 says, she heard the Lord that had, he had visited his people by giving them bread. Listen, it was a testimony of God's faithfulness and goodness to bring reversal and blessing. She hardly had any faith at all left. She was bitter from her circumstances, but she chose to turn toward God and move in that direction. And what does James say? If that you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. God will always meet you at the point of your need. He will always meet you when you just turn slightly and turn to him. And in the end, Ruth 122, it says that Ruth and Naomi came to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. What does that mean? Well, in Psalm 126, the barley harvest is a signpost. It's pointing to a fence of divine intervention. It's symbolic of the faithfulness and the loving kindness of our God who blesses his people with abundance and fulfillment. It signals the change of a season. Sometimes we're so afraid of change that we miss God's intervention. Sometimes the transition that you're starting, even if it's painful, it's a sign that God is moving in your life, bringing you out of something old into something new. Time to embrace that. The barley harvest leads to the wheat harvest that coincides with the seasons of Passover and Pentecost. Passover. 
the foreshadowing of our salvation, deliverance from death, and Pentecost, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But only two arrive in Bethlehem, you see. Not everyone's going to choose to restart over after so much loss and suffering. But those who do will find themselves positioned for a fresh outpouring of God's presence, ready to participate in a new move of God. Remember, with God, the God of the cross and the God of resurrection, the end is only the beginning. If you'll risk starting over, you will be positioned for a redemptive harvest in your life and the lives of others. The second risk, you're going to have to risk letting go. This is found in the, in the book of Exodus chapter 1 and 2. Jochebed has given birth to Moses. Moses is going to be the deliverer of an enslaved nation. The Pharaoh has ordered all male children in Israel to be killed. Jochebed has no power or influence to change her situation. And the life of her own son hangs in the balance. So what does she do? She builds a boat and she risks letting go. You see, when circumstances and situations are out of your control and threaten everything that you have given birth to, you're going to have to risk letting go. You're going to have to build the boat. That means you have to, you cannot shrink back from your personal responsibility. Your responsibility in your family, in your job, to your spouse, to your God. This is, this is what it means. Listen, faith isn't just that, oh God, will you do it? It means that, oh God, he's going to do his part, but we've got to do ours. You cannot let go of your personal responsibilities. And you can't lay down your power and authority. We don't roll over and play dead when the enemy comes in like a flood. We've been given the spirit of God who empowers us. We make wise decisions even in the face of very difficult, painful situations. We're not victims. I just want to say to you women, girl, you can do hard things. You're going to have to do what is in your hand to do, what is right in front of you, whatever the Holy Spirit has given you to do, just do it. And then you're going to have to trust God in his timing. At some point, after you've done everything that is in your hand to do, you're going to have to leave the rest and the outcome of it in God's hands. Jochebed had to, at one point, she built the boat, she put it in the water, and at one point she had to take her little baby son, stick him in the boat, and then what? Let go. And then the rest was going to be up to God. Can you even imagine and then you're going to have to choose servanthood. Listen, are you secure enough in your identity to be humble enough to serve when you thought you were going to lead? You know, if your identity is found in anything other than Jesus Christ, the answer is going to be no, and you may miss the opportunity to be positioned for real influence. You see, Jochebed was not going to be Moses' mother, even though it was her son. Someone else was going to take the lead in that area. And you know what she got to do? She got to be the slave who was the wet nurse to serve the mother of her own son. But God had a purpose that she could not have known. Moses was to become educated in the ways of the Egyptians, skilled, strong, protected, and until the time of fulfillment of his calling. And you know what? It takes self-sacrifice, and it takes self-giving love, and it takes true humility to sometimes put God's mysterious purposes before our own needs and our own desires. It takes an established identity. Jochebed knew who she was. She didn't need a title to serve for the sake of her son. 
Sometimes God's going to ask us to lead from underneath or from the back, and you're going to have to decide right now to let go of all selfish ambition. And if you will risk letting go, you'll be positioned to influence leaders and give birth to deliverance for others. The third risk, you're going to have to risk speaking up. This is found in the book of Numbers, chapter 27. The promised land is being divided up and, and the inheritance are being given to families. If a father's died, the law says that the inheritance is to be passed to his sons. And if there are no sons, it's to be passed to the father's brothers. If there's no father's brother still alive, it's to be passed to the father's brother's sons. But there's a problem, you see, because Zelophehad, who was a clan leader, he had no sons. He only had five daughters. The cultural rules say that the inheritance was going to be given to someone else who was male. And the daughters are going to be left out of it. But they find their voice. And they risk speaking up, not knowing if they're going to be heard. And God backs them up, and they get what they ask for. You see, in the face of injustice and oppression and cultural bias that says you have no right to an inheritance, you're going to have to risk speaking up. So you'll have to find your voice. Do you know that the first thing to go when a person is oppressed or abused, even if it's a nation or a people group, is their voice? Why? Because they begin to believe that they have no power to say, no, you will not treat me like that. And right there, that, I deserve to have some of that. So finding your voice begins with believing that your father loves you and he chooses you and he has an inheritance for you. Do you remember Alice? She'd forgotten who she was and she needed to find her muchness. Well, in the end of the movie, she does. And she's standing in full armor, ready to go slay the Jabberwocky. And she makes this declaration. My name is Alice Kingsley. My father had a vision and he never let anyone stop him. And I am his daughter. She found her voice. You'll have to find yours too. Then you're going to have to refuse to settle. You see, the daughters are speaking up without precedent or guarantee. They're asking to be counted equally among sons. They're asking for a change in the law that would require an answer from God himself to be reformed. It was incredibly bold, and not because it was against the rules, but because it wasn't even in the rules. It wasn't a question of provision, women of God. It was a question about whether girls were suitable heirs of the kingdom. Why do daughters care? These daughters, they cared because a new generation in Israel is making its way toward the promised land that God has said was their inheritance. And the daughters wanted to participate in the promise of God, to be heirs of the kingdom alongside their brothers. Sometimes when we add up all we're up against, all the challenges, all the work that lies ahead, the problems, the decisions, the heartaches, the heartbreaks, the downright evil, and we add up what we've got inside here, well, it just seems a little bit discouraging. And it seems that we may as well play small and settle. The greatest danger in front of the daughters of Zelophehad, in front of all of us, male and female, is settling for less, settling for a watered-down version of what God has promised us. Because they refused to settle, they secured a law that exists even today in our nation. Do you know that in 1924, the American Bar Association held up a woman's inheritance rights standing on the statute that was made in Israel because of the daughters of Zelophehad? They didn't know. 
for a nation that didn't even exist in that time. That generations and generations and generations and generations down the line, that when they spoke up, it was going to make a difference for all of those women coming behind them. Women of God, I'm telling you, our daughters are counting on us. Our granddaughters are counting on us. Women that we don't even know in the future are counting on us. What, we're, what are we going to do about it? Listen, if I go two miles, maybe my daughter will go five, but maybe my granddaughter will go ten. And I don't know about you, but I haven't come this far to only come this far. We cannot settle for our own well-being. Our daughters and generations of women are depending on us. If you will risk speaking up, you will be positioned to secure an inheritance for generations to come. And then the fourth risk... Risk taking the lead. It's found in Judges chapter 4, the story of Deborah and Jael. Deborah was the judge and the governmental leader of the nation. And in a time of war, the army commander said he wouldn't go out to war and wish unless she came with him. And so she went, but she declared that the victory would be given into a woman's hands. And in the end, Jael killed the enemy, driving a tent peg through his head after he fell asleep in her tent. See, heroes are male and female. And you may have to risk taking the lead. And when you do, you need to lead like a girl. Listen, historically, God has called and raised women at the forefront of every revival movement. What did I just tell you that the prophets are declaring right now? That we are in the beginning throes of a revival movement. On the forefront of every revival movement, women are raised up. And in that revival movement, they are social entrepreneurs. They identify what's missing in the family, what's missing in the culture, and they create, create new solutions. They bring healing and prosperities to families and cities and nations. What does our city need? Women have been abolitionists, activists, revivalists, missionaries, and revolutionaries. Biblically, throughout scripture, God has raised up women leaders to bring a shift in challenging circumstances. And their role has been essential for changing the course of events, for preserving, preserving the community, and for safeguarding the perpetuation of God's agenda and his prophetic promises. You know, God hears the cries of the suffering and the oppressed, and he appoints women and men to be as instruments of salvation and deliverance. Women were prophets and apostles and leaders and pastors and teachers and evangelists. Rahab's shrewdness helped fell Jericho. Esther's political savvy prevented a holocaust. The unnamed wise woman's clever negotiations ended a murderous rampage on her city. And the Samaritan woman's boldness brought an entire city to faith in Jesus Christ. Then you're gonna have to lead like a mother. In, in Judges chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Village life ceased, sang Deborah, until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. Listen, Deborah and Jael are highlighted by Scripture, by the Spirit in Scripture, as two women who arose as mothers to save the nation. Do you know that there is no mention in that passage of Scripture of either of them having children? Why is that? It's because the entire nation and all the people of God, God had appointed them mothers over those children, his children. God raised up Deborah and Jael to stand against the evil that came near the tents of Israel to, to destroy men and women and children. And they understood that threat and so they stood in their authority in their sphere of influence. They did not ask permission before lifting a hand to drive a tent peg through the head of the enemy, ending his encroachment and his tyranny. 
against their whole nation. And listen, women of God, Jael did not kill Sisera because he was a man. You know, radical feminism has brought a hatred of men. That's never, that's never the spirit of the Lord. It's never a move of God. Whenever one people group is oppressed, if they rise up, turn around and oppress another people group, that's not a move of God. Because God is raising up all people, male and female, and every age and every generation. He cares about all of his people. So she didn't kill Sisera because he was a man. At the same time, she didn't wait for her husband to go, come home because it was her sphere of authority. And when evil entered her sphere of influence, she put a tent peg through its skull. This is who we are. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. And if we rise as mothers in our nation, we could fight together to overcome that enemy. Together, Deborah and Jael saved the nation with a mother's call and anointing. Two women united against a common righteous cause. Lead with the gifts God has given you. Harriet Beecher Stowe was the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, an influential book exposing the dark side of slavery during the Civil War. Her sister-in-law said to her, Harriet, if I could use a pen like you, I'd write something that would make this whole nation feel what a cursed thing slavery is. And when she gave her testimony, when Harriet gave her testimony in a church, she said, I wrote what I did because as a woman and as a mother, I was oppressed and brokenhearted with the injustice that I saw. And as a Christian, I felt a disgrace to Christianity. And as a lover of my country, I trembled at the coming day of wrath. Harriet led the nation as a writer. Deborah led as a prophet and judge. Jael led as a homemaker. All were women, all mothers. What is your calling, women of God? What is your gifts? What are your gifts? Where do you already have influence and authority? Where do you have favor with people who trust your decisions and welcome your leadership? Dare to be yourself at all times. Trust who you are, who God has made you to be. And you know what? Be true to that. With all your history, all your personality, all your uniqueness. And when you're invited to the table with those you admire and respect, admire and respect yourself and come as God's image bearer and hold your own. This means that you are to offer your unique opinion, your thoughts, your ideas without conforming to social pressure, popular opinion, or political correctness. And if you will read, risk taking the lead, you'll be positioned to defeat the enemy in your sphere of influence. Lastly, you're going to have to risk it all. Esther is the one who said, I'll go before the king. And what? If I perish, I perish. She put it all on the line. Her reputation, her comfort, her position, her life. And God positioned her to save an entire nation, an entire generation. People of God, women of God, I am telling you, you were born to be powerful, to make an impact, to be exactly who God created you to be, to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. And if you will lay your life on the line, if you will risk it all, I'm telling you that it may cost you everything, but the reward, oh, the reward it's heaven on earth and heaven for eternity. We cannot lose. We're all going to have times when we have to risk everything. 
None of us get out of this life unscathed. None of us get out of this life without suffering some kind of event that tears our heart apart and rips us to shreds. It's part of the human experience. But God, and if you will risk starting over, you'll be positioned for redemptive harvest for your life and the lives of others. If you will risk letting go, you will be positioned to influence leaders and give birth to deliverance for others. If you will risk speaking up, you will be positioned to secure an inheritance for generations to come. And if you will risk taking the lead, you will be positioned to defeat the enemy in your sphere of influence. And if you will risk it all, you will take part of the greatest adventure of your life and have the, the joy and the privilege of participating in the mission of Jesus and this coming revival. Every person in scripture had to take a risk. Abraham had to risk moving forward when he didn't know where he's going. Moses, he had to risk going back to the place where he was hunted for his crimes and speak up for his people. Mary had to risk saying yes to conceiving the Messiah, even though she was a teenager and betrothed to someone else and may get rejected. I could go on and on. We're in good company. Today, more than ever, we need mothers to rise up and fathers to rise up on behalf of a new generation who are being hunted, disfigured, assaulted, and traumatized by predatory evil in our culture. We are in a war. Do you understand? Too many of us, we're waiting for God to do something. But God says, I gave it all to you. You are empowered to do something. I'm waiting for you. He is casting out our demons, healing up our wounds, reestablishing our identity, and filling us and clothing us with power. Why? So that we can fill, fulfill the purpose for which we were created for such a time as this. This is the most exciting time in history. Revival has already begun, but you are going to have to take a risk if you're going to participate. What will you decide and I'm telling you, whatever you decide right now in this moment, the next generation is going to read about it in history. But today it's Mother's Day, and I want to minister for a minute to the mothers. To all the mothers here, you have loved and blessed your children. We want to thank you. Your presence in our lives has been more significant than we actually have words for. And the fruit of your ministry in our lives is going to be born throughout our life and to our children and to our children's children. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we bless you. But there are some of us that our mothers were taken from us too early. I had an experience just recently, about a month ago, I was in Brazil, and, and uh, I had an experience that I hardly have words for. My mother died seven years ago, a terrible death from cancer. I and my sister and brother took care of her in her last days, and I was with her when she actually died, and it, she died of violent death, and it was very painful for all of us, and I miss my mother. She didn't even look like herself when she died. And I was in Brazil and two pastors said, Kim, we want to pray for you. And when they prayed for me, I fell out under the power of God and I had a vision. And Jesus came and he said to me, Kimmy, he always calls me Kimmy, it's so cute. Kimmy, because I'm a grandma, you know, I'm an old lady. He says, Kimmy, 
Someone here wants to see you. Well, I'm thinking a revivalist is going to show up because I'm all about it, you know? I thought it was going to be Mariah Woodsworth Ed or Amy Simple McPherson or Catherine Kuhlman or one of those. I, I would have really liked that, actually. But it was my mother. My mother came around the corner. She looked so beautiful. She was so full of life. And she was so full of joy. And she kissed my cheek. And she took my hand, my face in her hands. And I felt something pass between us. And I knew that I had received a mother's blessing from my own mother. You see, in those last several years where she was sick, she, she didn't have time. She spent her, her time was taken up with fighting this terrible thing. And so we never had time for her to pass a blessing onto her, her children or for me to receive that blessing. I didn't even know that I needed it. But I felt like the Holy Spirit said today that there would be many in this room that you need it from your mother too. Because for some of us, like me, your mother was taken too soon. For some of us, you were abandoned. For some of us, you were rejected. For some of us, your family was so dysfunctional, your mother was sin sick. Maybe she was addicted. For some of us, we were neglected, we weren't protected. Or we had expectations over our life because of their, their dysfunction and because of their disappointments that were put on us and it was hard to bear. Some of us were just simply abandoned. But because of those things, maybe, maybe you just come from a context where your, parent, your mother didn't even know. Your parents didn't know that they should pass on a blessing, that they should pass that on from generation to generation because they didn't have that ba- belief or faith. So this morning, if you would allow me as a mother in the church, a mother, a wife, and a grandmother of my own, I want to pass a mother's blessing on to you, sons and daughters. So would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Would you open your heart to the voice of the Spirit right now? And would you put your hands out in front of you like you're going to receive a gift? Father, right now, I ask you as a mother in the church who is charged with loving and protecting and blessing your people. I call on you, Holy Spirit, and I ask you to heal those in this place who carry mother wounds, God. Wounds from their mothers, wounds from women. Would you heal those who were neglected, those who were abused, those who felt unloved, those who felt abandoned, rejected, unprotected, saddled with unrealistic expectation, and any other issue, God, that they still carry grief over? Maybe anger, maybe bitterness, maybe huge disappointment. Come and heal them right now, God. And as a mother in the church, I stand in the gap for your mother's sins and shortcomings right now. And I ask you to forgive me. Forgive us. We should have protected you. We should have loved you. We should have stayed with you. 
We should have seen your gifts, seen you, nurtured you. We should, have, we should have promoted you. We should have given you permission. We should have done all of those things. And maybe we didn't for our own reasons. But for whatever reason it was, I ask you to forgive. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. And would you lift off right now the grief, the burden, the bitterness, the disappointment, and even the unforgiveness off of your sons and daughters right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come and minister to them. And now as a mother in the church, I release over you blessing, a mother's blessing that actually comes from God and through God and because of him so that he can bring you to himself and make you whole and make you complete in his love and then send you out on his behalf. And I tell you that you are a gift. You are a gift to your family and you are a gift to the world given by God himself. You were carefully crafted by the Lord to fulfill a very special purpose that will touch the hearts and the lives of all those around you. And I bless your heart and I bless your life. I bless your unique personality and purpose. I give you a mother's blessing and I give you permission to be everything God dreams for you to be, to go further and achieve more than I ever have, to rise as high as the Lord will take you, to walk in the fullness of the call on your life. And I will not be jealous and try to limit you in any way, but I will lift you further and I will promote you and I will bless you in it. And so I bless your, your potential, your passion, your calling. I bless your marriage, your children, and the work of your hands. And I ask the Lord to bless your households and give you joy and peace, grace, favor, hope, and above all, faith and love in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ who is with you all. In Jesus' name, amen.